Now, here's something to remember about Psalm 119. Psalm 119, think of it this way. Uh, it, it's pretty amazing. There's, a, there's 176 verses. We could call it the longest chapter in the Bible. The longest chapter in the Bible is about the Bible. Think of that. The longest chapter in God's Word is about God's Word. That should tell us something. The longest chapter in Scripture is about Scripture. 176 verses. Um, We did that last summer, and you may remember uh, one of the ways I introduced the series is with this particular Bible. This Bible, if you you can sort of see how it's, uh, you can probably see from there, it's a little shiny on the edges, it looks brand new, it hasn't been used, it looks like it hasn't been read, and it hasn't. It's, it's brand new. And I told you a little bit about this particular Bible that's very special to me. This was my mom's Bible, one of my mom's Bibles, but there's something I didn't tell you. In mom's final years, uh, she had some very hard experiences in life. When, she, uh, when, when my stepdad uh, passed away, they owned a, a piece of property and a house, and if you know anything about North Dallas, the way people are moving in and moving out, and, and this was kind of her experience, she sold the house. After my stepdad died, she sold the house. Somebody bought it, immediately came in, tore it down, and hauled it off, and built another home. Happens all the time. In, in Dallas, if you know Dallas, North Dallas. And all of the, the meetings and the holidays and the times together and Christmas and meals are just gone. The memories are there. And that's what's important. But the physical stuff, just gone. Mom sold it and downsized, moved into an apartment. And that was moving. But then shortly after she moved into an apartment, true story, um, she woke up in the middle of the night with smoke all in her apartment room. And this is in North Dallas in the Park Cities, and she's waking up at night and the, her apartment is full of smoke. And she gets up, obviously, runs out in her pajamas, and the apartment building is on fire, and the apartment building burns down. And her neighbor that she had befriended died. And I remember the phone call from mom. I remember I can hear her voice right now as I'm saying this. I hear her voice saying, Brad, I've lost everything. She had a few things in storage. The very first piece of furniture she ever purchased she had in storage. So we got that. It's a deacon's bench actually that came out of an old church. And we've got that in our home. But she lost virtually everything. And then I remember her saying, well, I guess God thought I didn't need all that stuff. Um, Kevin mentioned that I'm a reader. I, I come by it honestly. My parents were readers. We grew up with books everywhere. We didn't watch a whole lot of TV. We read. 
Sounds old-fashioned these days, I know. We, read, we actually read what I call incarnate books, not books on screens, but incarnate books in the flesh books. And so what, did, what does mom do? She starts collecting books again after she lost all of her books. And this is one she started to collect. This is, she didn't have this very long before she passed away. Mom lost virtually everything, but she did not lose her faith. Why? Why? She loved her church, PCA Church, Park City's Presbyterian Church. She loved her Bible studies, her church, her Bible studies, her women's groups, and she loved God's Word. She loved it. I have a, um, a, I won't read it to you, I don't have it, but I have a a letter my mom wrote to me on my one-year-old birthday saying she was praying for me and that one day I would love the Lord and serve Him. And she gave that letter to me years later. But when you open, anybody opens, I open, (laughs) this Bible, right on the first blank page, mom writes what this book is found to say, I am bound to believe. And you turn a, a few pages over, and she writes, the Old Testament is the swaddling cloths in which Jesus is wrapped. Martin Luther. Uh, Mom loved God's Word, and she didn't lose her faith. And the question for us then and the question for us now is, what's the role of the Bible in your life? I know all the right answers. Oh, I love the Bible. I read the Bible. Okay. Great. May your tribe increase if you're reading through the Bible every year, whatever you're doing. But here's the challenge for me, the challenge for you. What is the role of God's Word in your life? What role does it play? particularly in times of trouble. We're about to read a a, a portion of Psalm 119, and we're going to see times of trouble. In fact, in, in, in some ways, before I read this, I can tell you it sounds like a description of life in a fallen world. He's he's troubled from virtually every direction in almost every way. It's a wonderful thing about the Psalms. Uh, the Bible obviously is honest, but here are the Psalms. There's a, there's a Psalm for every experience, every emotion, uh, everything we go through. And we're going to see this morning a Psalm for living in a fallen world and crying out and trying to live in a fallen world. Let's read it. Psalm 119. And we're going to be reading 145 through 160, 119, 145 through 160. And this is God's word. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I will call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice 
According to your steadfast love, O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me. For I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve. This is quite an image. I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commandments. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life. According to your steadfast love, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Now, because this is poetry, and there's a certain rhythm to it, there are a number of rhythms that we could see here, and one rhythm... Um, it, you know, and I, and I get it, you know, most of us aren't spending, I, my guess is, just a guess, that most of you haven't read much poetry this week. Just a, just a guess, we don't really read poetry anymore. You know, a third of the Bible is poetry. And there's a rhythm here. And here's the rhythm. One of the rhythms. There's a number of things we can see here, but there's one. He cries out to God, he listens. He obeys God. He trusts. He cries out. He speaks. He listens. He obeys. He trusts. And you see that all the way down through this passage, crying out, listening, obeying, trusting. It's a wonderful model for our prayers and our lives. Let's walk through it. He cries out to God. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I call to you. I cry for help. Look on my affliction. Uh, redeem me. He, he is praying. He's praying from where he is, not from where he thinks he should be. Does that make sense? He's not cleaning himself up and making himself appropriate to come into the presence of God. He's bringing all that he is and all that he's going through to God. God wants that. Not some kind of stuff-it-down stoicism. And it's all fine. Because as... Most of us know it's not all fine. You may be doing quite well this morning. I had somebody after the first service actually say, no, I'm fine. It's all fine in my life. And I, and I said, well, let's talk this week. You have an opening? It's not fine. Not everything is fine. I hope most things are fine. I hope they're fine. They're not fine with me. 
I'm my biggest problem, and I follow myself wherever I go. He's being honest before God and bringing all that he is and all of his trials and struggles and pains and it, it, to God with my whole heart. I cry. It's vivid as we read through it. I remember uh, reading an interview a few, few years ago. It was a very sad interview, but um, piercing and it was an interview with a, an author, a children's book author, Maurice Zendak, who uh, wrote Where the Wild Things Are and Bumblardy and a couple of other books. And he's 83 years old during this interview. And I'm listening to this interview. And he's Jewish. You would hope and think that he'd be some kind of a believer or at least embrace the Old Testament. And here's a little bit of the interview. The interviewer says this. Um, you're Jewish, but very secular as I understand it. You don't believe in God? He says, no, I don't. And she says, yes, but you're not well and you're getting older and you're in your 80s. And, you know, things like this often test people's faith, but they often test people's atheism. Interesting questions. He says, is your atheism staying strong? And he says, yes. But, he goes on to say, it makes me cry when I see my friends going before me and I face the end of my life. And then he says this, I don't believe in an afterlife but I fully expect to see my dead brother again. Right there is the tension that so many people live in. It's right there in one sentence. I don't believe it and I can't, but, but I, there's got to be some kind of hope. I don't believe it, but I sort of want to. And that is the tension that so many people uh, live in. I'm listening to a, 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 a different interview with a man named Nick Cave. Maybe you've heard of him. He's a, uh, a rather um, rowdy uh, rock musician from Australia who had a rough past and rough music. And rough. But lately, he's been starting to talk in interviews about church. You can look him up. People are, all of his fans are a little concerned. He's starting to talk about church and Jesus. And I listened to an interview with him recently, and he's, he's talking to the interviewer, and he's saying, you know, you know, I recently lost my 15-year-old son. And atheism just doesn't cut it for me anymore. It's shallow and it's condescending. And it doesn't have an answer for music, for conscience, for beauty, for wonder. And I find myself going to church and needing what's there. 
Now, he's still on his path, and he's still wrestling, and I'm not sure where he is theologically, biblical, all that, but he's recognizing, you know, when I go to church and I hear the Bible read, and I hear the singing, and I hear the prayers, I realize somehow I, I need that. And then he said, I'm fascinated by the thought that Jesus Christ would go to the cross for me. And then he says, I'm not sure I believe all this stuff yet. Pray for Nick Cave. But there's something there. And somebody from the audience holds up a hand and says, well, how can you do that considering all the terrible things that the church has done through time? And all the mistakes that the church has made. And he said, in a very casual kind of way, yeah, I, I know all that, but it is, isn't it amazing? I'm still drawn to it. It seems to be something I need. And, and with both of these men, a musician and a writer, I want to say, read Psalm 119. It will express your needs and your fears and your pains and your affliction. It will bring you and point you to God's word. Go to God's word. Listen to God talk in Psalm 119. With my whole heart, I cry. Well, next, there's this crying out that so many people, believers, unbelievers, are, are doing and looking and searching Well, he doesn't just cry out. He doesn't just speak. He listens. He listens. He says, I hope in your words. I meditate on your promise. Your commandments are true. I love your precepts. The sum of your word is truth. Now, by the way, as you look at these words, commandments, testimonies, precepts, law or or Torah, which means instruction. You see all kinds of these kinds of words, precepts, promises. On this side of the cross, as believers, just as you see words like that, think Bible, think scriptures, think God's word. That's what he's, he's saying here. With all of our tweeting and texting and messaging and posting and friending and Googling. We don't do a whole lot of listening, do we? Who are the great listeners in your life? Does somebody come to mind? Well, I know I can talk to that particular person and that particular person will listen. And you know how it is. For most of us, we're, we're listening, but we're also thinking as we're listening, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? Or this person's really messed up, or I don't really understand. How's your listening to God going? Um, we live in a culture of a whole lot of talking. It's much more common than listening. You, you realize the Bible's God talking, God speaking. Am I listening? Are you listening? The psalmist gives us a model here for 
listening. You know, busyness is not conducive to good listening. Laziness is not conducive to good listening. With all the the background noise in our lives, I had a a man in my life, I haven't talked to him in a while, he was an elder at a previous church, ruling elder. And I would talk to him when I was wrestling with something or struggling with something, or we'd talk about ministry in the church. And I would call him on the phone quite often, actually. I'd call him on the phone, and um, I'd be talking, (laughs) and occasionally I'd have to say, are you there? Ever had that experience with a good listener? Are you still there? And he'd always say, I'm here, I'm listening. And over time, after I got over my initial skepticism, I realized he was. He, he was listening, you know, and, and I'd be wrestling with something or we'd be processing something, and he'd just listen. He'd just listen. We, we need to deliberately, as the psalmist points us to, we need to del- deliberately put ourselves in a position to listen to God talk in the Word, in the Scriptures, in the Bible. Um, yeah, I know. This is the moment where we all feel guilty. You know, it's the question, how much, do you pray enough? Do you read the Bible enough? Or, you know, there's always that disgusting person that reads through the Bible three times a year, but, but most of us aren't like that. You know, we... As we say, we get bogged down in Leviticus. You know, we're all fired up, and that's, it's over when you hit Leviticus. What's your listening like? Think of, the, think of reading the Bible as listening to God talk. And if you don't read your Bible or listen to God talk on any kind of a regular basis, you know, get a reading. There's all kinds of reading the Bible plans, things like that, or... Pick one book of the Bible. I've mentioned this before. Just pick one book of the Bible and make it your own. It can be Jude. You know, Jude's a page and a half. Um, you know, if, you're, if you really want to show off, it, it can be numbers. Proverbs, Joshua, Luke, Matthew, James. Ephesians. You want to know what the church should be? You want to know the who and the do of church? Read Ephesians. Read Ephesians. If you're not ready for Romans yet, begin with Ephesians, then go to Romans and listen to God. There's all kinds of ways. You can sit before God's Word and and listen. I hope in your words, the sum of your word is truth, but he doesn't stop there. He speaks, he listens, he cries out, he hears, and now he obeys. If you'll notice that the second half of many of these sentences down through this psalm is a call to do something, to obey, to follow through, to apply. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law, your Torah, your commandments, your instructions. 
Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules, your word, your directions, your instructions. Help me not to swerve, (laughs) swerve from your testimonies. An emphasis here on on following through. You know, the Psalms are often classified, in certain Psalms in particular, as, as wisdom literature. Um, one of the things that, that I asked the, the session, the elders, the personnel committee, if I could do on my sabbatical is, um, along with DeYoung's book, I, I, I want to focus I, and pray for him. Make me accountable. <laughs> There's lots of witnesses here. I, I'm going to go and I'm going to steep myself in the Old Testament wisdom literature. In Ecclesiastes, in Job, and Proverbs in particular. That's where I'm going to be, be this summer. Um, I need wisdom. You do too. What is wisdom? Often when we say wisdom, we, we talk about living skillfully, sort of doing what God says, living skillfully. Another way to think about wisdom is conforming to creation, conforming to the way we are created, the way we're designed, the way we're made. How did God make us, design us? What did he, how did he design us to operate? What's the fuel we run on? What's the fruit we bear? What is that? Well, you don't know that until you steep yourself in God's word. And it's, it's a tough time, isn't it? It's a tough time, again, with all of the words and all the opinions and all the confusion and all that, you know, we, and particularly as as Southerners, as we walk through wisdom and we try to be kind and we try to help people in different directions, we end up just, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I, I'm suspecting it's not. We just so want to affirm people. And you, I see this all the time. And some people just get affirmed right over the cliff to their destruction. You just affirm them right, oh, that's wonderful, and that's kind, oh, you're great, and that's wonderful, and you're right over the cliff to their destruction, rather saying, no, stop. I love you too much for you to keep doing that. That's not the way you're designed. And Paul does that. He does that in Corinth with the Corinthians. Um. Remember that, that, no, God does not need our works. We don't earn our way to heaven. God does not need our works, but our neighbors do, and our spouses do, and our kids do, and our coworkers do. They need your gifts and your insights and your wisdom and the fact that you're st- hopefully steeped in the Bible and, and living it. Yes, we witness with our words, but there's also such a thing as wordless witness. How many times have you seen somebody live a particular life and what an influence it was and you never even met them? You just saw them from a distance and the way they lived, the priorities that they had, and the things they pursued. He obeys. And finally... He trusts. Most importantly, um, he trusts. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord. According to your justice, give me life. Give me life. 159. Give me life according 
to your steadfast love. There's a wonderful prayer that you can pull right out and pray every day. Lord, give me life according to your steadfast love. You can pray that today, this afternoon. Lord, give me life according to your steadfast love. What's that? Well, it's important because it's mentioned hundreds of times in the Old Testament. And, and many times in the New Testament were different words. Of course, the Hebrew word, maybe you've heard it before, is hesed. Chesed. Um, and it, it, it's God's loyal, unending covenant love. Down through the generations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Lamentations 3. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 100. But let me go a little deeper in a sense. More more practical. In Ephesians chapter 1. Paul says this. Famous passage. Paul says this in Ephesians 1, verse 5, In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has loved us in the beloved. Now, you probably heard the P word, predestination which is often associated with Presbyterian, (laughs) as many of you know. Well, here's a Bible reading tip. When you see a passage like this, predestination or choice or God's sovereignty, please, I I would just, these these are not always easy issues to, to deal with and to talk about it, but what so many people often do is they take that predestination, they rip it out of its context And they bring all kinds of their own categories of freedom and fairness to it. And they're not reading it in context and asking this question. Why is Paul Paul writing this to the Ephesians right there in that first chapter? Why is he doing that? What's the circumstance? What do they need? Why is he saying that? That should be your question. The the whole letter. Uh, What is the whole letter about? What's, What's the point? Here's the point. Paul is writing this verse, these verses, to discouraged, overwhelmed, persecuted Christians. And he's saying, here's where your certainty is. Here's where your assurance is. You didn't save yourself. You can't earn God's love. In fact, you can't earn it You can never lose it, and it goes on forever. Be certain and be assured. That's that's what Paul is doing in this verse. He's not engaging in some kind of abstract, metaphysical, philosophical discussion about predestination. He's encouraging Christians who are discouraged. And he's saying, be assured. Be certain. In love, this is family language. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, he's sovereign, he's in charge. To the praise of his glory, his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Jesus. Be 
certain, be assured. He goes on in Romans 8 in a passage we all love so much and, and cling to. In Romans 8.37, begins in Romans 8.37, in all these things we Christians are more than conquerors through him, through Jesus, who loved us. And then he says this, for I am sure, I am certain that neither death nor life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You didn't earn it. You can't lose it. It goes on forever. Think about that. Embrace it. Know it. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, you've asked for forgiveness of your sins. And you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation as he's offered in the gospel. You can be certain of his steadfast love. Now, I've been around here for a while. You're you're very kind. You're putting up with us pastors. But I'm looking through all these sections, and I can see... I can see trial and pain and difficulty and struggle and joy and having overcome the, in, in every pew. I know you. I, I hope to know you better. And if you're new, I don't know you, but hope to know you. But you can be certain, whatever you're going through or however great things are right now, praise God they're great for you right now. You can be certain. So go and cry out to God, listen to God, obey God with this foundation of certainty. A God who keeps his promises. I'll close with this. I've mentioned this before, but I, I, I keep thinking about this year after year after year, and I go back to it on, on a regular basis. I received a letter, it was about 10 years ago now, from a soldier, a deployed paratrooper, um, the 173rd Airborne Brigade Combat Team out of Vicenza, Italy, (laughs) deployed to Afghanistan. And he's in a combat outpost which means he's at the tip of the spear, and he found out I was a pastor because my son was there serving with him, and he writes me this letter. And all of the kinds of issues that come up in this psalm are not abstract to him. They're not nice thoughts for a sermon on Sunday morning. They're really literally a matter of of life and death. And I'll read you just a a little bit of this letter. His name was Dustin. And by the way, he's fine. He's living in Texas. He's married. He has kids. He says, "My, my issue, he says this about halfway through, my issue is that sometimes I just feel so far away from God here. We don't 
see our chaplain very much, and we don't get to serve, go to services. Now, note, he, he wants to see a, a pastor. He wants to be with God's people. He wants to go to worship, but he can't. That should be convicting for us. It's convicting for me. And then he says, I pray constantly for our safety, normally several times a day during every mission. I pray. Even just driving down the road that is normally littered with IEDs, improvised explosive devices, if you may remember that. And I'm inspired to, to pray several times. And then he says, I constantly wonder if it's enough. I mean, we're all by nature sinners, and I, I get that. And there's a lot of, as you, he says, as you might imagine, in the, in the infantry, there's a lot of sinning going on. Being a soldier, he says, is difficult. It makes me wonder if I still have my ticket to heaven or if it can be revoked. What does he need? I got to know him and, I, and from the rest of the letter. He's a believer. He needs certainty. He needs assurance. In fact, he didn't know, but a few weeks later after he wrote that letter to me, his vehicle did get hit by an IED. Unfortunately, he wasn't wounded, and he's, he's out now and, and living in, in Texas. But, you know, you don't, you don't have to be deployed to Afghanistan to wonder if it's enough. To wonder where God is. To wonder if he hears your prayers. To wonder if you can be certain, right? Well, read this psalm and, and believe it. And here's how I responded, just a piece, a taste of my response to, to Dustin Jesus Christ has forgiven each and every one of our sins, past, present, and future. It's what it means to be saved by grace alone. And then I point him to Ephesians 1 and 2. You can never lose your salvation. Your ticket to heaven was handed to you by Jesus Christ from the cross. It was purchased with his blood. And it is one ticket that can never be revoked. We have that free grace, that steadfast love. The love that drives Jesus to the cross to give his life in our place. We have that assurance and that certainty. And my goodness, that should be motivating for faithful following. We're going to close with a Christmas song. Um, I don't know why we only sing Christmas songs at Christmas, but we're going to close with a Christmas song. And this is a song, uh, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It's a song that points to the first coming and the second coming and also points to the joy of every longing heart that is only found in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, the, the power of this psalm. It's about your, your word, you speaking. And we pray that we would be people that, that cry out and listen, obey, and trust. 
And they would we'd take our lives to you. You are the best listener. We pray that we in turn would be good listeners, listening to your word, listening to you speak in your word. And we would be driven by the way we're designed, the way we're made, our need for wisdom to do what you tell us to do in your word, the directions and instructions that you give us. How how are we supposed to to run? What fuel do we run on your word? How do we bear fruit? What does that look like? The, The fruit of the Spirit. It's rich, your word. Help us to um, obey it, to listen to it. And, and Lord, help us to rely on you, your steadfast love, and not ourselves. Help us to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him went to the cross in our place. As we, as we have thought about a, a, a children's author and a rock musician and a soldier, we're right there with them. We're asking the same questions. We're looking for the same answers. Lord, we pray that we would be driven by and encouraged by the steadfast law of assurance and certainty that only comes in Christ and go to your word. Be with your people. Worship you. And we pray all these things in the name of him who came such a great, great distance for us. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and sing.